It's October 2nd, 2014, and I am in Wichita, Kansas, sitting in front of my father and his parents' mausoleum internment location. It says Christopher McGill Tatlock, 1949 to 1981. His mom was three years older than his father. She was born in 1918 and died in 1994. He was born in 1915 and died in 2006. I met him once, never met her. Um, you know, it kind of had this thing where it was like, when I would eventually in this project make it to Wichita, I was hoping there'd be some crystallization of uh, knowingness of some kind from hearing other men, hearing their stories, learning from them, probably normalizing my own feelings as I listened to them. And I was hoping to do this part of the trip, the Kansas, the sun coming home kind of part of the trip at the end, but mechanical issues slowed me down, can't get over the mountain passes safely, um, so here we are. I've kind of been regretting sitting in this dark room. This time in Wichita's been really intense. It's like coming back, there's a lot going on, but I wanted to kind of capture some of my highlights, you know. Um, so my bike was giving me trouble and I decided, you know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take some side roads in case it dies on me again. And as I was going through East Wichita, I passed by where my mother grew up and saw, you know, uh, the home that all throughout my childhood, we would go visit my grandmother. I, uh, the bike was puttering along and ended up hitting Bluff Street. And I was like, she's Bluff. It's like, yeah. That's the street my dad grew up on. So I took a left and I slowly went about five or six blocks and just kind of like looking. I knew it was on the east side of the street, but I wasn't quite sure which one. And and then uh, the 400 block, kind of creeping up and I see it. That's it. And I pull over and turn off the bike. And I'm just looking at the house and thinking, I will remember when my mom told me, yep, this is where he actually killed himself, and it was in the back room there. I remember her pointing and me looking, and ever since then, that's where I wanted to go when I would come back to Wichita. I didn't want to come to this mausoleum, this dark, lifeless, visitless place with fake flowers. And, you know, it's not so affirming for me here. And, uh, so I just wanted to go there. And so here we are, you know, some decade later, my grandfather's dead. And uh, I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe somebody else is living there now. Maybe it's new folks. Maybe it's some Tatlock people. Who knows? I should go check it out. So I uh, turn off the bike and, you know, put my helmet down. And I just turn on the biggest grin I can and just kind of get my game face on. And I'm just 
walking up because I see this woman in the backyard. It's a big yard. She's raking leaves. And I say, hey, ma'am, how you doing? You know, pull in my cans and boy and manners and all that kind of stuff I can harness at times. And so, you know, it's so good to see the house. You're doing such a good job here. It's looking amazing. You know, when I was a kid, I used to play here all the time. And I would love the chance to walk around a little bit and go down memory lane. Would you be up for that? And she said, well, yeah, I would love that. Come on in. So I did, and she proceeded to tell me all the renovations that she was going through, and I just decided, you know, I'm just, just play Bob Vila. You know, I used to work construction a little bit, know enough just to kind of like keep a conversation somewhat on track. And I just started to bifurcate my experience. You know, part of me was with this woman, asking her questions and giving her the nonverbal affirmation like I was interested in. And, and uh, she rambled and she talked with enthusiasm and she was excited to bring life into this house, which, you know, she said, God, it smelled horrible in here. And, you know, it ripped up all the carpets and, you know, and I never said I was related to anybody there and never, never talked about it course never said anything of what happened there either what my dad had done there so go up the stairs and as we get upstairs where you know at the end of the hall the northeast corner of the room is where he killed himself of the house and there's a room in the back down these stairs as we're going down the hallway I just can feel the heaviness my feet are starting to shuffle and I'm starting to get really like sweaty palms and my heart's starting to race and I'm starting to imagine my father and I kind of vision him with me as we're walking down this hall and I can see his image dart in all these rooms looking around trying to find the gun which is what he did that night before he killed himself and he's hustling and he's looking at me in this like you know I'm having this bifurcated experience where this woman's talking about you know redoing you know light fixtures and shit and I'm just like having this mental image of my father you know in a psychotic state running up and down the hall barefoot eye level you know partial beard sunken eyes you know kind of like clammy clammy skin He's like looking at me and kind of like waving me. No, come this way, come this way. I'm kind of walking down. And we go room to room. It's a big freaking house. And get in there and the door opens to the room that he, he took his life in. And I knew it. And I felt it. And I saw him in the different corners of the room, you know, walking around, pacing. Imagine him thinking about, you know, what was his thought process? What was he thinking? He found the gun. Did he load it? Was it loaded? You know? Did he, uh, did he take out the ammunition and, you know, pull the trigger back to see what it sounded like, what it felt like? Did he put it to his head? Did he put it in his mouth? <sighs> kind of had all these weird visions of him. Kind of like a pinball just around the room, but in different states with a handgun. I started looking up at the ceiling wondering, yeah, I wonder if that was the last thing he saw, you know? 
I started thinking, I wonder if he, you know, got close to putting it down or maybe you know, close to throwing the gun out the window or close to throwing the ammo, you know, down the drain. Or if he thought, you know, I should wait because I'm going to kill Kathy and Chris. Because that was his plan. That's what he had talked about, is killing both of us, my mom and I, taking us with him. So I kind of sat there, and she was talking, and as she's talking, you know, I'm just nodding, and, oh, yeah, I like that kind of color. I like bright colors, yeah. So much good light in here, yeah, yeah. And I go out and stand by the window. And I look out east, and I'm just kind of like, you know, realizing this window is, maybe this is the last thing you saw. And I'm standing there. About as tall as he is, or taller, I don't even know. And thinking, wow, I wonder if this, if this is my last view, you know. And she's she's pruned all these trees, but you still got, you know, sense of greenery. And you can imagine the sunrise coming up and it coming through the leaves. Was, he killed himself in September. This was just at the end of September. It's the same time, same climate, same feeling in the air. I'm just sitting there. My shoulders are getting heavy and starting to get a cold sweat on my back and getting a little nauseous. You know, and I got my camera out because I'm trying to take some photos. And so I take a, a photo from the you know vantage point looking out the window and thinking, yeah, this is what he saw. You know, and, and I've always been uh, an early riser. You know, I rise with the sunrise, and even if I go out to like four in the morning, I'm still getting up at five, six o'clock. And I've always, I've loved the idea of starting a new day, and you know, and just thinking, yeah, there's my dad sitting there 33 years ago, you know, looking out, seeing the sun come up, and putting a gun to his chest, and. You know, what the hell was he thinking? And I reckon he wasn't thinking. I don't know. He was thinking, get, it, get me out of here, I would imagine. But, you know, and my heart's all heavy talking about it. Come to this mausoleum, maybe that'll open up the floodgates of emotional release, tears. But I always get analytical or whatever. Anyway, I feel pain, but I don't allow it to release or something. I don't know. Maybe he and I have that similar, I guess. Bottle shit in and. But anyway, then she, oh yeah, look at these, you know, this room, we're going to take this out and I kind of get jolted back into the reality of what's going on and 
closed the door. I remember closing the door and being like, yeah, I'm never going to go in there again. And my dad's not there. He's not in that room. He's not in this mausoleum either, I'll tell you that. He's wherever I guess I want him to be. And kind of closing that door kind of put some closure for me in that space and with his death. But the real the real closure kind of came later, but yeah, this woman was so nice and meet her partner, her husband, and he's a real sweet guy. And we go downstairs, she shows me the kitchen, living room, new heating unit, new air conditioning. And next thing you know, we're outside. I don't even know how we got there. It was like in a daze. And uh, I asked, her husband, I said, oh, you know, I've got this photo of me and my dad here as a kid. Maybe you can, uh, you could take a photo, I'll send it to him. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, sounds great. So I have this photo of me uh, with my arm outreached as if I've got my arm around my father, smiling in front of the house he grew up in as if we were having some nice little stroll down memory lane and pause, be like, yeah, let's remember this, you know. It's kind of like my way of saying goodbye there, you know. Like, we, we never, of course, had that photo in front of the house. Never had any photos really together. It was good to go there. It's, it's the right thing for me. Of course, I never told the family there what happened, and you know, got on my bike and moved on. Something special. And then uh, the real kind of closure came. I had always thought, you know, I'd heard—not thought, but heard—that um, he died in the morning. His dad found him. His mom was playing tennis at the country club, and neighbors thought it was backfire of, uh, you know, like a lawnmower or something. But I'd always heard that he shot himself five times. And I went down to the Sedgwick County Courthouse and went to the clerk's office on the sixth floor and asked her for an autopsy report for Christopher McGill Tatlock, the name I read now across this tombstone. Gave her the date. Twenty minutes later, she comes back with these seven pages of photocopied, you know, paper from a microfiche from the original autopsy report that details all my father's organs, the weight of them. And how he shot himself three times, not five. Still mind-boggling to me. In every way, shape, and form. Just doing it, let alone doing it multiple times. First time he shot himself in the right part of his chest. And then he hit himself twice in the heart. And he died there the morning of September 9th, 1981. At 424 Bluff. North Bluff, a street in Wichita, Kansas. And he's 
and turned here across from a fucking football stadium. <laughs> Lord help me, I hope I never end up just put me in a boat. Nature. I think I'm gonna stop there. But getting that Opsazu report, that was I guess what I do want to say about that, that was an interesting experience of just feeling like that's all the facts I'm ever going to get. That's it. Everything else is a bunch of questions. You know? How exactly he did it, how exactly he got the gun, how long he took, what he thought, why he was doing it, what was the breaking point, uh, did he debate of doing it, did he try other ways before, did he always have this plan, was he really going to kill us? Who, what, where, when, how, <laughs> no. There are no answers that are going to come other than that autopsy report. Three shots to the chest, 42 and 43 centimeters above his heel. 32 years old, dead. 9th of September, 1981. That's all the facts we get. Suicide doesn't give you any nice little bows to tie the package in. You know, just a whole mess of maybes and what ifs. And I think as I was waiting there and the most surreal bureaucratic experience that I can imagine, waiting for your father's autopsy to determine whether or not he shot himself five, four, three, two, or one times. When I got that in my hand, I knew this is it. This, there's no more answers. And we hell of a lot of questions. I already have those. I know those. But nobody's going to give me any answers about him, his state of mind, whether he's psychotic, whether he's what, you know. Clearly, something. <laughs> he was something. He was alive, and he was my father, and then he was dead. End of story. Everything else we just fill in how we can rationalize it or make sense of it or understand it to help us feel better or not feel better. But that's the fact. So I'm going to cherish those photos I took of the window, thinking about sunrise. I'll be thinking of him, wishing he would have marveled at it, found love with the beauty of nature and sun and, has it, you know, warmed his face and the birds and everything but instead he went to it you know that was that was it he went to the light <laughs> you know As he checked out he stayed in the darkest of darkest places that we can go to as humans he punched out you know and after that I just I went and rode further west so I could watch the sunset <laughs>
best you could. Wish I would have known you. Wish you would have known me.